Isn't that a precious thought? It's good to know. It's good to know that our salvation doesn't depend upon our faithfulness. It depends on God's faithfulness, and, and He does not change. He is faithful. So, a wonderful song. Very good. I would invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're taking our time through this passage because there's uh, there's so much needs to be said here, and uh, the focus is somewhat on the church in this four, these four verses, simply because <clears throat> he is dealing with the elders. The elders are connected to the church. They're the structure of the church, and it's important for us then to get that right so that we can have a proper understanding of the church. First... Peter chapter 5, verses, we'll start at verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but for with eagerness, nor yet as alerting it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example to the flock. And when the, shep- the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown or the unfading crown of glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your word, the guidance that it gives, the assurance that it gives our hearts, the the direction that it sets for our life. Lord, may we follow you, follow you as you lead us. We pray that as you lead us today in your word, that we would grasp what you have to say for us and that we would move in the direction that you would have We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The motivations of our heart are important. We don't think about the motivations uh, very often, our motivations, why we do what we do. We don't really give it much thought, but we are motivated by something. We're moved to action. That's what motivation is. Moves us to action. Uh, It's one of the elements of of a criminal investigation, you have to prove intent or prove motive, right? The, the investigators are looking for motive. Most of the time, it's, it's very clear, but sometimes it's not so obvious. There's a, a case that's going on right now uh, in West Virginia. I think it's just really interesting. It's caught my eye. But it's a, a lady in uh, Clarksburg, um, Rita Mays, I think she will go down in history, in the history books. She's 46 years old. She's a nurse's assistant, and she has has killed seven people with insulin, giving them insulin. You've, you've heard it in the news. Over the past two or three years, three or four years, in, in this uh, VA center. And the, the key thing is, to me, is, and I keep asking the question, why? Why would she do this? And she hasn't given a reason. There's no reason. They can't determine why she has done this. There's really been no motive given. But, but motives drive us. 
they, they push us to action. And it could be a, a variety of things. Fear. Uh, back, I'm reading a, a, a book right now about Winston Churchill and uh, the World War II era. And in, the, in London, the, the sirens would sound and that would strike fear in the people's hearts and they would seek for shelter, a bomb shelter. And it was designed to strike fear so that they would move them to action that would get their attention. We love our families and babies are cute. We were just looking at the babies today. They're just so cute. And that motivates us. There's something inside that just moves us to love them and sacrifice for them and to do strange things. Changing a diaper is a strange thing, you know, when you think about it. But we love them. God has made them cute, right? So that we love and sacrifice for them. There's a motive of hatred. Rivals, between rivals, there could be hatred and and mean words and mean actions are taken. Sometimes um, there's bank robbers that rob banks for greed. Greed. Jealousy between neighbors causes words and actions to be exchanged. Anger. You can see somebody fly into a, a fit of rage and go on the warpath and things are thrown and people clear out of the way and words fly. Sometimes it's stinginess. Hoarders, you see that. They, they hoard because they're stingy. They don't want to give up anything. It's theirs. Self-pity. We kind of exaggerate uh, something that's happened to us, an injury, and we just, oh, we moan, and you see that on the soccer field sometimes. It just kind of drives you crazy. Um, a pride, many words uh, that are unnecessary because of pride. Motivations, uh, they, they move us to action. There's a, a variety of motivations. Christ said that, the, that from the heart, the mouth speaks. It's from within us, the motivations that, that even our words come from. Now, God is concerned about our heart. He knows our heart. He is concerned about our hearts just as much as our actions. Now, a couple of verses that I'll just point out, and this is just in Proverbs, uh, but it really is all through Scripture. Proverbs chapter uh, 11 gives us a, just a quick verse concerning this. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 20 says the perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord. The Lord knows the perversions of your heart. Now, folks, that should strike fear in us. It should. It's a reality that God sees our heart. This is an abomination to God. Chapter 15 and verse 20. Uh, it says, Sheol and uh, Abaddon, just hell, lie open before the Lord. We can't see it. We can't look and see hell, but, but God sees it. It's just open to Him. How much more the heart of man. He sees our heart. It's nothing for Him to, to look down and see the motives of Carl Dingus. Now, for the believer, this again is important. It's really a matter of integrity. Integrity. Because if we are going to please God, the the, we have to have right actions, but we also have to have the right motives behind the actions. Those things have to sync. Those things that have to be, uh, be together in order to please God. 
And God knows. It's open before God. Our hearts are just open before the Lord. The heart is the dwelling place for righteousness. Really, it's the incubator. Either for righteousness or sinfulness. Think about that. And God sees it. It's it's either concocting uh, evil or righteousness. And God is, he, he knows what lies within the heart. Now Peter's addressing the heart of these leaders. He's addressing the leaders of the church, the elders in this passage. We read that. And we've been looking at that for the past two or three weeks. And we've seen that, that Peter points out that elders are just men. They need to be supported and, and they need to be esteemed and, and listened to and so that they can, uh, they can do their job with ease so that we can flourish as a church, this group of leaders within the church. We don't fight them. Also, elders are to, to maintain their role of shepherding even through persecution. There, have to, there has to be a tenacity there. In spite of persecution, they have to keep on shepherding. Now today, I, I want to look at the third element that Peter talks about in an elder. And that's this, that elders are to avoid the pitfalls and dangers of leadership. And those dangers, really, they focus, the focus of those dangers has, has been on, uh, on motives. He turns his attention to the heart of the elders and particularly the motive. What drives the elders to do what they do? And he's pointing out some pitfalls, pitfalls to leadership in, in general, but specifically of just the sinful heart. We share these things because we are sinful. But I have to say this, that, that there's a distinct leadership or distinct kind of leadership within the church. Distinct kind of leadership. I would disagree with a lot of the Christian leadership books that you would see in the Christian bookstores today. They're trying to bring the world's understanding of leadership into the church, and that's just not going to work. They're, they're called elders. They function as shepherds. The, the, you may have a, a military general who may be this natural-born, gifted leader but his goal is to preserve, protect America, protect the country, not to shepherd the, each individual uh, guard or person under his watch. He, he's just, he, he might be concerned about keeping them alive, but that's about it. He's not concerned about the motives of their heart. The, your employer, I mean, you, you know, you, you may think that he, he really loves me and he cares for me, but the, really the bottom line of the employers is a, is, is money. He has to have the bottom line looked after. It's not to shepherd. It's not to shepherd. That's not the intent. He, he, he'll try to make you happy, and that's a good thing, but he's not there to shepherd your heart. There's, this is talking about spiritual leadership, and it's distinct within the church, and it's distinct within the home, and I believe it's distinct within marriage as well. It's a spiritual kind of leadership. It's different from the world. It's different from uh, trying to lead a nation. It's different from trying to uh, lead a, a business or corporation or something like that. And there's a danger here. Because any time you put a person in, 
in leadership position, there's always, or a position of, of power, if you will, it kind of awakens something within a simple heart. It just does. It's just the way we are. It's kind of a natural thing. And it creates a, a hunger for authority. You better listen to me. You better obey me. And it could turn into greed. It can greed for power, a lust for power that, that needs to be fed. Whether it's in uh, the, a brand new home where you have this husband who's just finding his uh, new position as head of the household, head of the wife, and, and, he, and, it, and it takes on, he takes on a, a sinful attitude. Begin to see that. Sinful. It's wrong. You see that. Maybe it's in new parents and, and they, they realize their authority over these children and they start to have an authoritarian attitude or a, a ruling over, a, a brute force kind of attitude. Or even within the church, an elder, elder, young elder begins to realize his, his influence and the authority that, that he may have and it, and it puffs him up. It gives him a, a little bit of an air of superiority. And that, folks, is completely foreign to Christianity. Within the home, within the church, within the marriage, it's completely foreign to the office of an elder. It's a different kind of leadership. And the church cannot just take the world's understanding of leadership and bring it into the church. We just cannot do that. It does not match. The church has to be concerned about what God says or God thinks about leadership. We have to adhere to His Word. And we have to lead according to His principles. We must lead in such a way, Paul says, and I like this verse, I'd like for you to turn over there just so you could see this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I don't think it's on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul was very careful about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse, we'll just start in verse 2. It says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, Paul was a gifted man. And he says, I'm going to set all of that aside, just the message of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the message of the gospel. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you that because that's, that's where the power lies. He goes on to say, I, I was with you in weakness and in, and in fear and in much trembling. He, he, was, he did not want to puff himself up at all. He's just giving you the gospel. He says, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. That's the, the powers, the power was within the words. Now here's why in verse 5 he says, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now that's the key. Leadership of the, the shepherd, the leadership of the, the spiritual guide is not pointing to himself. It's pointing and the power is not within himself, but the power is within the word that he's preaching. And he just preaches. He keeps feeding the word because that's the power. That's where it is. That's where the authority comes from. It's just the word. And so that that has a distinct kind of leadership form that, that just has to be there. Now, it, it is distinct from the world. This kind of leadership is distinct from the world. That is within the church. But there's still some common dangers among leadership. 
There just is. Because we all have the same sinful hearts. And now here's the principle. The elders within the church must carry on or carry out the role of the shepherd with pure motives. Setting the example for the rest of the flock to the glory of God. With pure motives. The, the, the shepherd, the elders have to, have to look inside themselves and are constantly asking the question, why did I do that? What were my motives? And Peter gives us some three pitfalls in this particular passage. The three common pitfalls of leadership within the church. The danger of obligation, the danger of money, the danger of power. And they say, well, I'm not an elder. Why do I have to, why do I have to, why is this important to me? Why do I have to listen? Because we all have a common sinful heart. We, we all are driven many times by the same kinds of motives. And we all have to examine. There's a, a, self, a self examination that needs to be here. And I think that's what Peter is getting at. It's it just a, a careful uh, uh, being particular on how we manage things. We have to look inside ourselves. There is a self-examination. And folks, that applies to all of us, whether you're an elder or not. And he gives us three warnings here, if you will. And there's, there's three patterns, and you'll see this. He gives us the negative side, the danger, things not to do, things not to do. But he also gives us the positive so he says, not this, but this. And he does this three times. He gives us both the negative and the positive. Now look at this. Verse, th- verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you. That's the verb. That's the command. Here's what you are to do. And he says, exercise oversight. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. According to the will of God. So you see it there. Exercising oversight. There's just a... a it's another way of saying shepherding. It's, it's the, the Old Testament idea of uh, the watchman is standing on the tower watching over and protecting the, the town at night. And that's what they're to do. They're to, to keep watch. And they're to do this with the right motives, not under compulsion. Not under compulsion. Not because I have to do it. Not because of external constraints it's not as uh, not a task that we have to do and you feel like you you just can't escape it it's necessary i i feel the pressure and i i don't like doing it i don't want to do it i it's something that's forced on us kind of like uh being drafted into the military my brother was drafted into the military didn't volunteer he was drafted he was brought in back in the early late 60s early 70s that was what was happening? He says, and that's under compulsion. He says, don't don't function that way as an elder, but voluntarily. Elders uh, serve not because they must serve, but because they willingly serve. They want to serve. Now, this is a passage that, um, or this is a a principle that we see in Scripture. It's it's common in Scripture. First Timothy chapter three verse one. It is. A trustworthy statement. The church even knew this statement. because kind of a, a, a truism. A proverb we might say. If a man is, a, aspires to be the 
aspires to the office of an overseer. It is a fine work he desires to do. There's something within him that, that desires to do it. He wants to, there's a motivation there. He's just willing, and Peter says, according to the will of God. He just wants to serve his Lord. That's the idea, according to the will of God. And the pitfall then is obligation. Obligation. We don't serve because we have to. Now that's Jonah, isn't it? That's just Jonah. It's a picture of Jonah. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. And God says, yeah, you're going to Nineveh, whether you like it or not. Uh, and that's what Jonah did. He was, he was reluctant. Um, and God had to teach him a lesson. God had to teach him. So, so, by the way, let me just tell you the story. He goes into Jonah, Nineveh. He goes into Nineveh. And he preaches for three days. And Nineveh repents. And uh, so he goes out. He's hoping that God would still destroy the nation. He goes out uh, a ways away from the city, and he watches the city to see if God's going to destroy them because he didn't want he, he didn't want God to have mercy on them. So God had to teach him a lesson about grace and about love and about mercy and compassion for the people. Because here's what happens when love turns to obligation. There's a slavishness. To his mindset. That was what was going on with Jonah. It was slavish. He did what God asked him to do. But man his attitude was still not there. And, and it makes life hard. It makes life centered around me. It's man centered. It makes things difficult. It's a different, different kind of perspective. Just a slight change. That, that turns us from loving motives to being a slave. Why do I have to do this? I'm the victim. I'm trapped. And the idea is that we, we keep loving God and His people as the primary motivation of our heart. We serve God out of love, not as a slave. Not as a slave. Now, Peter, or Paul made this clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a good verse. First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. Paul says this, talking about just his own preaching, verse 16, he says, For I, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about, for I am, for I am under compulsion. There's an internal motivation there. Not an external restraint on my life, but an internal thing. He, he wants to do this. For woe! Is me if I don't preach the gospel, for if I do not, if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, and that's the key, if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted in me. You know, I'm, I'm doing this because God has entrusted me with this. And He's functioning under grace. He's functioning because He loves God. He loves His Word. He loves His church. He loves His people. He wants to serve his heavenly father. He wants God's favor on his life. He loves God's will. He loves God's glory. And he is, he is responding to God's grace. And that's the key. It's a response of love to God's grace. And we live under that, not under obligation. Not because God is there cracking the whip. If we don't, well, uh, then God's going to, then God's going to get me. That's not a motivation for an elder. It's not a motivation to serve the church at all, is it? Christ said, what did Christ say in, 
In John chapter 4, verse 34, it's a great verse. He says, my food is to do the will of my Father. It drives him. Every morning, we search for food. Paul or Christ got up. What is the will of God for my life today? And it pers- he pursued that. And that was his, that drove him like hunger. Now, elders like everybody else. Sometimes we don't want to go to church. We don't want to attend meetings all the time. We don't want to, we don't want to have to take care of a 40 year old, 50 year old building. Um, we don't have to stay after church on Wednesday nights. We want to go home on Sundays and be able to relax. We don't want to have to stretch the finances of the church another month. We don't want to have to deal with people problems. We don't want to have to make unpopular decisions and say this is what we're going to do and, and put ourselves out there. Sometimes it can be hard. And we serve the church like we should serve our families. Like we should serve our neighborhoods and the people around us. We serve out of love for God. That's the proper motive. That's the proper motive. Men, we serve our wives because we love our wives and our children because we love our children. And the complaining, sinful, slavish, victim kind of heart is wrong. And it's something that we need to repent of. We just... We, we just have to stop. We have to stop. We have to recognize. You know what? That's wrong. It's a wrong motive. Obligation is not the proper motive. Now, it sometimes can get us over the hump, but it's not the proper motive. We have to check our motives. And we have to say, no, I love my wife. I love my children. I'm going to do this out of love. That's the proper motive of the heart. So we willingly serve our Heavenly Father. And that's the perspective that we have to have. On a daily basis, we may be changing a diaper. We may be doing a work that we don't like to do. But we're serving our Heavenly Father. Not under obligation, but because we love Him. So, that's the first principle. The second one. The first danger. The second pitfall is money. Is money. Now we all can kind of relate to this as well. In verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not for sordid gain. That's just, he's talking about money there. Or ill-gotten gain, we might say. Gain that has come in a way that if exposed, one commentary said, I like this, if exposed, it would be, um, uh, if it was uncovered, it would be shameful. That, that's the, the way that he's looking at this. And it's a, a warning of an unhealthy focus on gain, on money. It's a love for money rather than a love for God. And we can see very easily how that can... Uh, that one little shift changes everything. If the elders are, are loving money and they, they're just doing this for money, it, it just changes the whole dynamic. We'll see that in just a minute. But I want you to notice that Peter is not talking about not paying the elders. He's not saying, well, well don't, don't uh, get paid. That's uh, contrary to what Christ told the um, uh, the 70, when he was sending out his 70 disciples, 
in his ministry in Luke chapter 10 and verse 7. Very common, familiar verse that you'll, a little phrase here. Chapter 10, verse 70. Stay in that house and eat and drink what is what they give you, for the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not move around. Stay in that one house. The labor is worthy of his wages. If you're there ministering, then then there should be wages. There should be payment. First, First Timothy chapter 5. Paul makes this clear as well. Chapter 5 and verse 17. He says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scriptures say... You shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing, and the labor is worthy of its wages. Same, same principle there. It's, it's not about the money, it's about the focus. Now, the, 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 the ox that would be threshing the grain, they would, they would bring the grain to um, this threshing floor, and the ox, he would just, his whole day would just be going around in circles. And when he was going around, he would be tethered to this big log and this log would be tethered to a a rock that would be turning and it would be crushing the grain and every village should have one of these so that they could bring the grain and you get the picture the the ox would do the hard work and he says don't muzzle that ox don't put a muzzle around that ox allow the ox to to grain to gather the grain that uh, and to eat the grain that falls off the the threshing floor there that he can get and that's the idea. It's okay. It's okay. The focus is not money is evil. The focus is that it's a shift of the money, a love for money, as opposed to a love for God. And he says, in contrast to that, we are to be eager. There's an eagerness, and the word eagerness is just willingness. It's a readiness to serve, not for profit. Not, not because I'm going to make a killing. Now, this is, this is the Old Testament prophet Balaam, wasn't it? That's exactly what he was trying to do. He was selling, he was a prophet, and he was selling prophecies for, for, for money, for cash. He, he'll tell you whatever you, you want to hear. And the Lord stops him, and, and he's riding his donkey to try to get to this place, and the Lord stops him and just makes him look like a fool. That's exactly what happens. And it is shameful, folks, and, and unacceptable within the church especially to, to go into ministry, for these men to go into ministry because they have a skill in communicating. They have no real love for the truth, no real love for the Word of, of God. They don't want to, the, the hard work of studying. They don't want the hard work of being a shepherd. They just like the money. And they found that they can manipulate a crowd. They found that they can move and persuade people. They're, they're natural-born leaders. They have the gift of gab, whatever you want to call it. But they're not really interested in studying the Word of God. That's the, that's the classic example of a false prophet. And folks, that's what you see a lot today. These very, very gifted men, young guys going into the ministry just because they're good communicators. And they, they love the crowd. They love those things. But here's what happened. Here's the, the warning that Jesus gave in, in John chapter 10, 
very clear warning that uh, Jesus said. John chapter 10 and verse 12. You can, again, see the motives of the heart that are exposed here. Verse 11, chapter 10, verse 11, he says in John, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He loves the sheep. And he who is a hired hand and not the shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because he is the hired hand and has no concern about the sheep. He is not concerned about the sheep. Now, that's important. Those faults, those men who get into ministry just because they're natural-born speakers, natural-born leaders, they're not concerned about the sheep. And that's so important. They're not concerned about the sheep. But here's what Christ says. I am the good shepherd and I know my, and, and I know mine and my own know me. They have a relationship there. And that is so key. That is so important. Somebody that's just hired, somebody that's just in it for the money, they're going to flee. When persecution comes, when times get tough, when times get hard, the sheep are not protected. He's out. He's gone. The shepherd is gone. And he's not concerned about the truth because he's not concerned about the sheep. And it makes a, a great deal of difference, folks, when, a, when there's a, a spirit of a hireling and the spirit of a shepherd, the heart of a shepherd. And these gifted men, they, they draw us in, they sell books, and they're, they're good at communicating, but, man, they don't. They're not tenacious about the Word. You say, well, how can you tell? How can you tell? Well, sometimes you just can't. Until the Lord exposes that heart, you just can't tell. But what we have to do is, is we have to watch, how do they handle the Word? Now, I know a lot of people have been watching uh, different services, different church services on TV and watching a lot of different men preach and, and that kind of thing. But the question is, how do they handle the Word? How careful are they with this Word that they, per, that they uh, are preaching? Because if they love the sheep, they're going to be very careful about the Word. And that's the point. And we don't follow gifted men anyway. We follow what? We follow the truth of God's Word. We get the answers from there. Peter said, uh, when Christ asked him, you guys are going to go too? And Peter says, no, Lord, where do we go? Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We, we can't go anywhere. We're pursuing truth and you've got it. And that's the idea. There's a danger of money. Let me give you one more danger here. The pitfall of power. The pitfall, pitfall of power. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. Lording it over those allotted to your charge, that little flock that the Lord has entrusted to you, but proving to be examples to the flock. Now, proving to be examples. Don't lord it over those. It's not about control. It's not about authoritarianism. It's not about manipulating the sheep or some kind of pride-filled heart that wants to control and wants to uh, serve self. That's, that's inappropriate for an elder. 
inappropriate. There's only one Lord in the church, and that is Christ. Christ is the Lord. And it is to be Christ's lordship by His willing servants. We're just servants. We're we're nothing special or nothing any different really than anyone else. We're just dispensing the Word of God. It's the Word of God that has the power, not us. The power doesn't reside in my ability to communicate, in my ability to persuade people. It's just the Word of God. I give it out. This is what God says. And it's your... Your opinion of what, about God, of how you respond to that word, frankly, it's not about the person. In fact, the, the, the opposite of this kind of leadership, of lording it over, is just, just be an example to the flock, he says. Just be an example. We're just to, to live in a way that is worthy of imitation, worthy to, to other people to see it and say, yeah, that's the way to live out the Christian life. We're just essentially... Pointing to the master. Pointing to Christ. And that's kind of the job description. It's part of the job description of an elder. Before he even comes in. He he has to meet certain qualifications. But let me point out one thing. He does say. But proving to be examples to the flock. The proving to be or being an example to the flock. But is a process. It's an ongoing thing. He's becoming worthy, becoming a worthy example. Again, it's just pointing to Christ. And none of us are there. None of us are exactly like Christ. There's a pitfall of power, folks. Power corrupts. Power can get in the heart and and just elevate the person. And there can be puffed up with pride we, we see this in Second Chronicles. I'll, I'll point out a couple of verses here. Second Chronicles, chapter. Second Chronicles, chapter ten. Is a you see a young man, Rehoboam, and he's famous simply because his father was Solomon. Now Solomon was the wisest man, right? And he has these this son, Rehoboam. And you would think Rehoboam's going to soak up all of the father's wisdom and he's going to adhere to it. But we find that he goes to the younger men and, and he takes his advice or gets the advice from the younger men. And he goes to, the, he goes to, um, the, uh, to Israel and, and he says to them in verse 11, 2 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 11, as, uh, Whereas my father loaded you, with heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined with you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. He is full of himself. He was puffed up with pride. He was going to control them. He was going to lord it over them. And what happened in that generation, within that first generation, after, after you had King Saul, King David, King Solomon, godly kings, good kings, and you have this, this young man takes the wrong advice, and the, Israel is split, the nation is split in that one generation because he wanted a heavy hand, because he was full of himself, full of his pride. Here's, here's what Christ says and this is this is so key Matthew chapter 20 we give you the teaching of Christ here 
Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25. And hearing this, the the ten became uh, indignant with the two brothers. Now, you understand what's happening here? You got twelve apostles. Two of them, they got their mother to go, and this is this is Jesus's aunt goes to them, says, "Hey, can you put uh, my two sons, one on your right, one on your left, when you get into the kingdom? They just want power. It's just a power struggle, and they were struggling over this. And the rest of them, man, they were furious that they would do this." And Jesus had, had to cor- correct some things here. He says, verse 25, But Jesus called them and said to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Different kind of leadership. There's no power there. But... Whoever wishes to be to become great among you is to be what? Your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave. Just as the Son of Man, that's Christ, did not come to, to be served, and he could have come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to serve the human race. What an example. What an example. The elders stand before you. They stand before the congregation. And they lead. And they guide. But they do not lord over. They do not lord over. It's a command from scripture. That's a pitfall. It exposes, exposes a heart, doesn't it? It exposes a heart that's, that's uh, filled with pride. A heart that's sinful. The real power is not within that man anyway. The real power is within the word and that's what we're all following. A true shepherd is, is not concerned about his power, but his responsibility. And folks, I think there has to be a shift in our thinking. We cannot bring the world's understanding of leadership into the church and, and say, man, I want to be an elder. I want all of that power. It, it doesn't work that way. It's completely different. Shepherding. Shepherding. Shepherd is not a figurehead. He's not just propped up. He's not the smartest man in the room. He's not the richest man in the room. He's just a willing servant of God. Willing, willing to do it. Willing to serve God in this way. He's not the most dominant leader. Doesn't need to be. He's just one who knows his own spirit. Knows his own heart. And he's trying to keep his heart in check. And he's avoiding the pitfall, pitfall of power. Now, let's just apply this to our own life. Because there's a great need, folks, of all of us to evaluate our own selves. Evaluate our own motives. Why? Question, we have to ask the question, why do we do the things we do? Why do I lash out? Because in my mind, I'm superior. I know best. Why do I lash out? Why am I kind? What's my motives there? Why do I talk so much? Why do I work so much? Why do I eat so much? What's my motives? Why do I serve the church? Why do I want to be heard? Why do I want to be the leader? Why do I dress the way I do? Why do I laugh at the things I laugh at? Why... Why am I impatient? 
Why do I interrupt people? Why do I demand attention? Why do I sulk? (laughs) Now, Peter's giving us a tool here. A tool. A tool to evaluate. Am I doing this or am I doing this? It's just a tool to evaluate our own hearts. Now, we're not perfect. We're not going to have pure motives every time. We do need to evaluate those things, those things that drive us, those things that that motivate us time after time. There should be, you'll see patterns. But this is a tool to evaluate our hearts that are sinful and then just repent of that sin. And, And what we see is this is a tool for sanctification, to evaluate ourselves in the progress of sanctification. And we look at our hearts, we look at the mirror of God's Word, we see, yeah, I do that. That's me. And I evaluate my heart where that sin is incubating, that sin is, is just uh, fostering there. It hasn't, it hasn't come out yet, but it's there. And I evaluate that heart and I say, man, I am sinful. I am sinful before God. God sees the impurities of my heart and that breaks me. There's a repentance there, a humbling there. Oh Lord, purify my heart. And then we, we put off those things. We repent of that. And we change our mind, renew our hearts. And we, we put on the right thing. Folks, that's just like salvation, isn't it? We recognize our sinfulness before God. We see that. And we come before Him repentant. Saying, Lord, get rid of this sinful heart. We don't want to serve out of obligation. We serve our family. We serve our church. We serve our community out of love. Out of love for God. And the Lord knows our hearts. He knows the sinful heart. We come to Him in repentant prayer. saying, Lord, forgive me. And, and then He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You know what it said of Christ? That Christ, He led. He led this way. He He was full of grace and truth. It's a perfect balance of leadership, isn't it? We've seen the support for elders. We've seen the role that the elders are to play. We've seen the pitfalls now that the elders face. Let me leave you with this one thing. The the psalmist said this. He said this. You'll know it. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart... Even the things I dwell on, Father, be acceptable in your sight. Isn't that a prayer? It's a wonderful prayer. And I pray that that's our prayer today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the things that that are incubating this either sin or righteous heart, and as they come out, may may they be righteous. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray... That we would just examine ourselves. Oh Lord, there may be one who is here is not even a, a believer, but Lord, his heart is exposed. My heart is exposed even here. I'm not the elder that I need to be. I know my heart and I come before you. You know my heart. And I, I beg for forgiveness. I beg and, and I plead repentance, Lord. Because you are, you know that heart. And, and Lord... You also know that I want to serve you with love, with proper motives. Lord, I pray that we would all 
evaluate our own lives and see what really drives us, what motivates us. And may it be a love for you and a love for your people. And Lord, may we use this tool of evaluation of our hearts, examining our hearts, putting off those things that are sinful and putting on those things that are appropriate, things that are pure in heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.